0: Swimmers in their shoulders, what sort of injuries do these athletes have around the shoulder joint, and what are the latest treatment techniques available? You're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Mary Lushow your host, and joining me today from New York is Dr. Scott Rodeo. Dr. Rodeo is Professor of Orthopaedic Surgery at the Weill Medical College of Cornell University He's co-chief of the Sports Medicine and Shoulder Service at the Hospital for Special Surgery in New York. He's also an ex-competitive swimmer and was team physician for the 2004 and 2008 U.S. Olympic swim teams. Today we're discussing shoulder injuries in swimmers. Welcome, Dr. Rodeo.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: So what are the top three injuries that swimmers get in their shoulders?
1: Well, the most common thing, certainly shoulder problems are common in swimmers, and a lot of it relates to overuse. I mean, a lot of it sort of overuse tendinitis type of picture is kind of how they present. A fair number of swimmers have laxity as an underlying problem. So they have some instability in the shoulder, which can contribute to the shoulder pain. And then a lot of it's just kind of rotator cuff fatigue, rotator cuff overload from the repetitive loads in swimming. The loads are so, so high from the repetitive use. I mean, there's literally thousands of overhead arm motions per practice for these athletes. So it's really kind of a combination of overload, rotator cuff fatigue, and then the underlying instability can combine to lead to shoulder pain.
0: Is there a swim stroke in particular that causes the most shoulder problems in swimmers?
1: You see it most in freestyle. Now, much of that may be because athletes train mostly with freestyle, but it's really any kind of overhead activity of butterfly and freestyle in particular meaning contrast breaststroke you don't have as much of the overhead activity and shoulder problems although they certainly occur they are less common definitely in our breaststrokers compared to butterfly and freestyle.
0: You mentioned shoulder instability in swimmers when can this be an advantage in the swimmer?
1: Yeah it's a good question because really we're talking about a sort of loose joints and joint laxity it's really a it's sort of a continuum from kind of a tight joint on one side to little laxity, which can be helpful, to too much laxity, which can become pathologic. And so really there's a fine line between laxity, which may be a good thing, and instability, which denotes symptoms or pathology. So, and again, that really is kind of a fine line there, the difference there. To some degree, as your question implies, laxity can be a good thing. You know, loose joints can help the athletes be successful, and frankly, that's probably, to some degree, why they are successful. I mean, you see in a lot of our elite athletes, I've looked at our Olympic team, actually has been looked at in a lot of the Australian summers as well, there's certainly a degree of laxity. So in these high-level athletes, that may allow them to be so successful. But again, if you get a little bit beyond that, a little bit too much, and now it can become pathologic. So our sense is that, all these athletes have some degree of laxity and that's that's fine. That's just sort of their inherent makeup and they kinda of get by because they can stabilize the shoulder using the muscles, rotator cuff in particular. So that's fine. Problem occurs is once they overtrain with the repetitive cumulative loads of training, now the rotator cuff muscles fatigue and they lose the muscle contribution to stability. So now they lose the what we call the dynamic stabilizing effect of the muscles. Now that laxity which heretofore had been well-tolerated and not a big deal and now becomes symptomatic. So that's how that the underlying laxity can start to become a problem if the muscles can no longer compensate.
0: Is there a way to clinically tell if that's happening to a swimmer before they get pain or symptoms?
1: The signs are often subtle. You can sometimes detect uh, subtle changes in their swimming stroke, though. So, I mean, the answer is yes, there are. There are some changes they'll make in their swimming stroke which are indicative of sort of fatigue and the muscles not quite functioning normally. And so, and that's where you need a really astute coach who can start to notice some of these changes because oftentimes the athletes won't say much, you know, because it's it's not uncommon to have a little bit of discomfort in the shoulder. So, they kind of get used to it. They sort of live with it. So, they may not say much. And the hard part is determining when you intervene or when it's just sort of the normal, you know, kind of expected shoulder pain of training.
0: So is there a percentage of swimmers who should expect to get shoulder pain at some stage in their career or will everyone get it inevitably?
1: Yeah, I mean the studies show anywhere from 50 to 70 percent will have some degree of interfering shoulder pain at some point in their career. So the numbers are high.
0: And so when we talk about, in inverted commas, swimmer's shoulder, what are we exactly talking about?
1: Yeah, it's a bit of a you know, catch-all term that's used to describe shoulder pain in swimmers, but I think the majority, certainly not all, but most of these swimmers shoulder relates to... Muscle fatigue, muscle overuse, and then they result in sort of dysfunction in the muscles that will, mean, you know, ultimate the kind of final common pathway causing pain is probably abnormalities in the mechanics of the shoulder. So, again, if you think of the shoulder, you know, the mechanics or the you know, normal function being controlled by balanced muscle forces on one hand and ligaments on the other. If the muscle forces become insufficient or inadequate to control the shoulder as they fatigue, then there's dysfunction. So the mechanics of the joint is not normal. It can ultimately lead to impingement. So a lot of the pain eventually comes from impingement, you know, the rotator cuff on the overlying bony arch of the acromion there. So, but the underlying problem, again, often relates back to cuff fatigue, cuff overuse.
0: What's the best clinical test you use for impingement?
1: You know, standard signs. the so-called Hawkins test is one. The job impingement test is also another one. I also take the arm through the various provocative positions that the athlete describes, and many times it's just sort of the, the recovery phase in the swimming stroke, which frankly is identical to the Hawkins impingement sign. So there's a sign the clinicians have used for many years to reproduce impingement in the shoulder. That test is exactly the position the arm goes in during the swimming stroke, so it's a, quite a correlation there. That's, that's a pretty good indicator. A lot of your diagnosis, frankly, comes from the history, though, as well, like many things in medicine, you know listen to the patient. A lot of their description of symptoms and the provocative positions and maneuvers will give you a good clue as to, you know, what the diagnosis is. And then you go through your, your careful examination to look at certainly rotator cuff signs, rotator cuff strength, impingement signs, and then laxity, you know, how much laxity is there in the joint. And they compare that to the contralateral shoulder as well.
0: If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinicians Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushars, and today I'm talking with Dr. Scott Rodeo about swimming injuries and shoulders. Dr. Rodeo, which radiographic means of diagnosis are the most appropriate in swimmers' shoulders?
1: Typically, MRI is the most helpful. X rays are almost routinely normal, quite honestly, and certainly in our typical younger swimmers, they are. You your older athlete, your master swimmer, people in their 30s and 40s and older, you start to have a little broader differential diagnosis and you can have early arthritis and AC joint problems and things like that, which can be detected on radiographs. But in general, MRI is a much, much more sensitive imaging study which allows evaluation of the rotator cuff, the bursa around the rotator cuff, the labrum, as well as the articular surfaces. So really, it's your best imaging study.
0: Do you ever do ultrasound or dynamic ultrasound?
1: Yep, we have. In fact, we're just starting to use it more and more. And the value of ultrasound is it allows you to evaluate the rotator cuff, and it allows us to do it in, kind of you mentioned, a dynamic test where you can bring the arm into provocative positions to evaluate the rotator cuff in different positions, evaluate for impingement, so it can be very useful.
0: When you're looking after elite swimmers, is there any difference in your decision-making as to when they really need an arthroscopy to evaluate a particular shoulder problem?
1: In general, not really. I mean, I think you can adhere to the fundamentals and basic principles. Many of these like most, will get better with appropriate rehab. And part of it initially can be modifying activity and trying to treat the acute pain with activity modification, rest, avoidance of the provocative maneuvers. You know, anti-inflammatory medicine, simple things like that, ice, things like that. Working with the therapist can be helpful. Oftentimes, we'll have assumers. Maybe do more kicking sets, but not as much overhead activity. Not as much pulling sets. You know, swimmers often use hand paddles or pull buoys. We may have them diminish those things. All of which serve to diminish the load on the shoulder, quite simply. And then as the acute pain settles down, the next phase to get them into a good comprehensive rehab program. And you can't emphasize enough the importance of working with a good therapist who can help assess for muscle strength deficits, deficits in muscle balance. You know, the coordinated firing patterns of the different muscles in the shoulder are critical, and those can be interrupted in the painful shoulder. So you identify any deficits and then certainly address those through good therapy. And a comprehensive therapy program To really make a difference can sometimes take three months or more. It can take sometimes six months or more. So ultimately, the athletes who really fail all of that, then surgery may become a consideration.
0: At what point in time do you advise an elite swimmer not to compete?
1: Well, you can get to a point where they have persistent pain that has failed to get better with activity modification, rest, anti-inflammatory medications, appropriate therapy. And there's a number of swimmers despite all those things, their pain persists. So then you're at kind of a crossroads where you determine, you know, do they stop swimming or do you try to do something operative? And a lot of that will depend on the individual based on their examination. I mean, if you think they have a lot of laxity, you may be more confident that you can improve things with surgery. Part of the decision making process, though, is what are the athlete's goals and desires? At some point, some of them say, you know what, I'm ready to move on and I'm not going to be a swimmer all my life. And, you know, there's a lot of individual factors that are taken into account. But there are definitely some athletes where they're just going to have pain, period, with the overhead activities. And some athletes may not be cut out to do this.
0: You talked earlier about having a good coach who can identify signs of fatigue by the swimmer's strokes early on have you ever been called upon to perform that role as well because you have such a great amount of experience yeah I've
1: looked at it a couple of times I have when I've seen when I've been with the athletes so that's one of the hard things about you know evaluating simmers and frankly it can be said for a lot of athletes where As a physician seeing the patient in your office or in the hospital, you don't often get to see them swim. So it's hard to obviously know what their swimming stroke's like, and it's hard to even make recommendations about correcting the stroke if you haven't seen them swim. So it can be just like evaluating, say, a throwing athlete. It's hard to suggest adjustments in the throwing technique if you haven't seen them throw. So... So, yeah, I have on occasion when I've had the opportunity to be on the deck and see our swimmers, especially when I'm with our national team and things like that. But that's why day-to-day, when you can't see the athletes, it's important to have a coach you can speak with, maybe a therapist you can speak with. Sometimes the parents will tell you. you know, they, they know their athlete or their child and how they swim, and so you kind of use all that information and try to piece it together.
0: And as chief medical officer of a very prestigious U.S. swim team, how do you feel when someone like Dara Torres or Michael Phelps comes to you with a sore shoulder?
1: You know, again, I think it's like anything in medicine, you adhere to the fundamentals. You treat them frankly like anyone else. You do the right thing. I mean sometimes you get in trouble if you try to do something special or extra for the V I P. athlete, but you know, obviously you want they take good care of them and do the right thing for the athlete. I think that you Start with the basics and work through it. And then obviously there are some different circumstances in that, in that setting, you know, whether it's at the Olympic level or an elite athlete level, where there, you know, there may be different considerations that you need to take into account. You know, sometimes the athlete will take more risks than, than someone else would because for them it's their livelihood. So you know, there, there are certainly different considerations that are taken into account. But as far as evaluating the injury, recommending treatment, you, know, you do what you know works.
0: Do you ever talk to the athletes as a team about preventing injury?
1: Absolutely. I think prevention is really critical here. Like a lot of areas of medicine, it's really very important here. I think an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. (laughs) And so we do, and a lot of that relates to recommending appropriate strengthening programs.
0: And is that mostly based in the gym or there are other... Areas that they can, yeah. You know, a lot
1: on. of it is sort of what we call dry land, you know, gym type exercises. But it can be done in a host of ways, not just weights, but also different types of resistance bands and you know, therabands and flexible devices that can be used to help exercise. So a lot of creative ways you can do it. But a lot of it is yeah, exercise-based programs, gym-based programs.
0: Is there a place for Pilates or yoga?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Those are great for developing, in particular, strength in your so-called core muscles, which is your abdominal muscles, low back muscles, pelvic muscles. You know, it's easy, all well, this focus on the shoulder and certainly shoulder is important but frankly, a lot of the strength in the upper extremity comes from your so-called core, low back, abdominal muscles all those, just like a pitcher throwing a baseball you don't throw a baseball 95 miles an hour just from the arm a lot of it comes from the trunk and hips and leg Well, a lot of that holds true in swimming too so anyway, the point is yoga and exercises like that are very helpful for developing core strength
0: well my thanks to you Dr. Scott Rodeo thank you We've been discussing shoulder injuries in swimmers. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and suggestions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Thanks for listening.